Welcome, you guys. Thanks for coming over. This is Richard Sachs. This is our conversations with Dr. Gabriel Cousins. I'm off camera for some complex technical reasons that we don't need to go into right now. I hope you can hear me okay. I think you can. And we're going to talk about the deeper meaning behind what's going on in the world, all over the world right now, in the little bit of time we've got here. And uh, it's a decision point for humanity that, in my to my perspective, is the most important and most urgent that has happened any time in known history up to now because of a number of different factors. So Dr. Cousins is going to give us some background, and then we'll get into the main issue in our little bit of time here. And I think you'll find it interesting. So welcome, Dr. Cousins. Thanks for coming over. And welcome, okay. Here welcome we back. are. Welcome we are. It's nice to be back here in Israel and getting a sense of what's going on um, and to be on this program in the way we have been. We will try to address this rather complex, uh, tragic pro situation that's going on in the world, okay? Um, and hopefully you get some, some clarity about what we can do with this uh, tragic situation. So before we start, it's good to... Uh, dance for spiritual joy so we can kind of hold perspective and not get so uh, depressed and upset that we, we can't think straight and we're just in the world of reaction which is seems to be happening all over the world so we're going to do a little dance before we do that we just do a little prayer which is merging the heart and the mind. Ushimi kud kudashabri hu ushinate bi imulaiha chimuki bulovke bi adeshlam bishem kuzriel kolam amen. Through that merging of heart and mind, which is what's needed as part of that process to create that inner peace, which then will create outer peace. And I'll just add. As we try to look at the big problem, big picture, big problem also, is without the inner peace, no outer peace really lasts. And that we've seen, obviously, clear in the Middle East, but all around the world. And that's why you, you have to go back in time when the Buddhists ruled in India for like, a few hundred years, and there was great peace. Okay? And that's not an accident, because the, the whole culture shifted to a, a, a meditative, uh, peaceful orientation, and the result was peace. So those are things that really can happen. The potential is there, because we've seen it happen. Okay, so let's start with a little dancing to get that spiritual joy going. And then we'll get into uh, a touch of meditation. We'll go into the discussion. Okay.
Okay. Let's just meditate for a moment. Yo. So I can my meditation. And as Richard said, we're going to try to address the issue that's going on in the Middle East, but actually the world, okay? And it's been going on for thousands of years. Unfortunately, there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to war and civilizations fighting each other. We go back 3,700 years ago when uh, Nimrod, the first great kind of conqueror from the time of Noah, you know, conquered a a great deal of the the area. And Abraham was able to stand up to him and basically get away. Of course, he, he, he was thrown into a burning furnace, but God intervened and he didn't die. He didn't get burned up. And after that miracle, they let him go. And Abraham and Sarah and Lot, they went to Haran, and then they went down from Haran down into what is now called the land of Israel, which uh, God pointed out to him was the promised land where he was supposed to create uh, and be a father to all the nations. Okay, that's a that's the starting point. Well, really, three thousand seven hundred um, years ago, approximately, and then from that came Jacob. I mean, uh, Yitzhak and Ishmael. That's the Arab world, 
the two brothers. And from that, we've got a certain amount of division fighting over a, a lot of things. And what we're seeing today is Yitzhak and Ishmael. That whole history has continued and affected people. So that's about 3,600 years ago. Not a new issue. That's the thing we've got to understand. Different forms, but not a new issue. Now, along the way, you know, from the time of Nimrod and the time of Babylonia and then the time of Assyria, um, and other conquerors coming in, also the Greek and Romans, uh, this whole area has been conquered a variety of times. I'm going to include the Egyptians in that too. So it's a, so it's an energy center that people uh, consciously and unconsciously have been seeking to capture and claim. And then I guess in the 10th century, the Christian world got involved in that too, as well as the Muslim world, which kind of got activated in the 7th century, you know, which is kind of new, a new player on the block. Uh, the Christians were the second, you know, coming out of the Jewish uh, background. Um, okay, so this area struggle, I think it's been like 15 different uh, conquerors of the Jerusalem area. So uh, why? Well, I can't actually answer that. People theorize it has to do with the energy because it's very uplifting to be here. But it's very intense and therefore intense, let's say, creates a certain amount of uh, energy that people don't know how to control and they end up fighting and so forth. So we have a history of really 30, you know, 3,600 years of struggle over this land. Um, although initially it was peaceful with Abraham and meditating in the, the uh, fields of Mamre and uh, burying his wife Sarah and the cave of Mechpah and every, everybody was cooperating of the different tribes and so forth. Okay, that being said, we kind of come down to the ages and I mentioned you know, the, the, the different civilizations that, uh, you know, for a while conquered the land. And that, uh, and then we, we see that after the Romans, the land was desolate. They salted the land, cut down the trees, and the, the, this is because the, particularly the Jews, kept rebelling against them. So around 130 to 140 A.D., the Romans just said, that's it. You know, last rebellion carried a lot of people off into slavery, killed a lot of people, said the house killed about a million people. In fact, they said the streets were... Jerusalem were, were running with blood. That's how big, a million people in those times, a lot of people. Okay, besides the fact of all the crucified, you know, people being crucified, obviously Jesus was crucified, but many, many people were crucified. So the Romans were not uh, that friendly, and uh, they salted the land, cut down all the trees, and for the next 2,000 years, the land remained very barren. Uh, 
nobody, nobody was really here except a small contingent uh, in Jerusalem. And Mark Twain, the famous author, kind of wrote about his experience in Jerusalem, I think it was in the 1860s, it was just barren. No one was there. And But a little bit after that, uh, dealing with uh, the uh, different programs going on in, in, uh, in Russia and in really throughout Europe, uh, the Jewish people um, began to migrate into this land, okay? And with that migration, this is barren, there's nobody here, as far as the history kind of suggests, they begin also bringing in Arab people to help with the planting and, you know, hi- literally hiring, not as slaves, but hiring people to work to develop the land. And so these cultures generally work pretty peacefully together. And there were occasional times when there was, again, pogroms where the Arabs uh, killed a lot of Jews. And I don't want to go over all the dates when that happened, but it happened every, you know, more than a few times, uh, particularly around Hebron. Okay, that being said, this goes back and forth until the British took over from uh, <clears throat> from uh, the uh, Turks, the Ottoman Turks, around 1917 after World War One, And the British then divided it up. Okay, we have Saudi Arabia, there's this whole land, but they actually made boundaries in states, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Jordan, and they did all these things. They divided it up. It's not like these countries have been here forever. So we're looking at 1917, the 19, you know, to the 1920s, so a lot of these divisions happened. Um, they, they, in the Belford Declaration in 1917, they said that Jews can also have a, you know, a homeland in this area of what we call Israel today. Now, I don't have the exact details of the, the exact homeland design, um, and the borders keep shifting anyway. But the point is, yes. And there was uh, also uh, an effort to create, a, a, in a sense, space for the Arabs as well. Now, I'm avoiding who agreed to this and who didn't agree to this. Basically, this is what uh, the British did, the British mandate. And there's always been conflict since then. Now, did they set it up to be conflict? I can't tell you that. I can just say there's been conflict between Arabs and Jews since since those times. There's nothing new here. Um so, with a variety of programs happening and, and rights on both sides. So, now we quick forward to the present. And um, 
it, it is, as far as I'm concerned, you know, everything is in dispute. Um, although, historically, I think we can say from 1917 and then extension of that into 1967, there, uh, Israel kind of conquered what was given to them, but reconquered and also expanded in 1967 and really 73 to its present boundaries. Okay. The, there was an effort, uh, I don't live too far from Haifa, it's about 30 minutes from here, uh, in, in the initial kind of wars in, in, in 1947, 1948, um, but like the mayor of Haifa absolutely pleaded with the Arab population to stay. So we can work this out because that's a more mixed population. We can work this out. Do not leave. Please do not leave. But the invading countries, and at that point all the Arab countries, thought that they could attack and destroy and kill all the Jews. Okay? So they said, leave. So we can wipe out all the Jews and then you can repopulate. That didn't work out so well. And the result is there's a kind of mass migration, maybe 700,000 initially. And at the same time, all the Arab countries expelled all the Jews. That was about 850,000. That doesn't get mentioned very much. They came to Israel. So there was a kind of population swap uh, uh, that kind of went on. But again, they, as I say, like the mayor of Haifa, which is mixed, didn't really want that to happen. He wanted the Arabs to stay. And so that being said, it didn't quite happen that way. I mean, where I live is right next to an Arab village. It's like walking distance from where I am. You know, and previous places, there, there is an interplay here. And I don't know if people really understand that. Um, there's a regular interplay. In the marketplace, in the grocery stores, you know. So it's it's not like we have a separate thing. Everybody is kind of going to the same store. We go to the same beaches, um, and so forth. As of as of now, as of today, what I'm saying. Okay, now the politics of Gaza. I don't want to really talk about because. It, uh, it doesn't lead us to what we where we, we need to go in this discussion. But I want to point out that what is happening in the Middle East is not unique to the world, because this is a world situation. Um, you know, we, we have uh, the jihadists in uh, Burkina Faso uh, and Mali and Niger in West Africa uh, who killed, you know, killed over 4,000 civilians and 600 mostly women and children were displaced. So that's in Africa, okay? Those are things that really happened. In the uh, mass slaughter and rape of 6,700 
Rohingya Sufis, by the Buddhists, okay? And uh, Myanmar, and more than 870,000 were displaced, okay? Uh, massacre of tens of thousands of uh, Tigray natives in Ethiopia, with a displacement of 1.7 million, okay? Um, honor killings of women who were raped in the Arab world, okay? Uh, and so we have, then I can go on and on, and, uh, and uh, 384,000 refugees in Central African Republic. It was a lot. And well over a million in Libya. And another million in Somalia, and 2.4 million in South South Sudan, and 2.5 million in Nigeria, and 3 million in Yemen, and 6.1 million in Syria. Okay, this is what's going on in, in, in pretty much our lifetimes. And in uh, jihadists kill about 21 million, 21,000 in. Uh, Maghreb, and uh, 12,000 in Myanmar, and 114,000 in the Civil War in Ethiopia, and 15,000 in Somalia. Humans are not treating each other very well, and that's really what we're addressing here, okay? So I'm just making a point and I'm going to ask the second question. So why everybody focusing on the Middle East when all this is going on all over and we don't see protests about that? Well, there's because this is a very charged, highly activated area that affects everybody around the world. It's um, kind of the reasons I mentioned. Now, where does this lead us? And I'm going to invite Richard to come in in a second, but it leaves us with We've been doing this for, you know, 3,600 years. Why haven't we learned the lesson that violence doesn't really work in any sustained way? Why haven't we learned the lesson that inner peace will bring outer peace? And that uh, killing each other really doesn't give any sustainable peace. And those are the questions that, that, that are hard questions to answer. It gets us away from right and wrong, who's right and who's wrong. This is just, humans have been doing this for a long time. What is the problem? Of course, from a meditative point of view, the problem is people aren't into inner peace, which brings the outer peace. Um, there's many things. We have power, we have greed, we have all these different things. Um, why haven't we woken up from this nightmare? And maybe, and it's not going to be, the Middle East is, this. well, I'm not saying what it is or it isn't, but we're looking at a worldwide conflict breaking out all over. And uh, we have China and India. I'm not going to go through the whole list. We have a lot of conflicts. Really, you know, obviously Ukraine and Russia. Really, it could be a worldwide, you know, disaster. So, 
what can we do to understand and really better than understand turn this around? You know, most of you know we have the World Peace Meditation uh, that is there uh, on every Sunday Israel time at, at about 6.15 um, worldpeacemeditation.net uh, and meditating for peace helps shift the consciousness we need more we need, if we had about 9,000 people we would shift the consciousness and that's what we're looking for because um, it is conscious there's violence and war consciousness there's peace consciousness right now war consciousness is the predominant energy in the, in the world so in, I mean, besides Russia and Ukraine and, you know, Israel and all the people behind Israel, you know, the world globally and, and Hamas and all the people behind them, you know, Iran and, and so forth. Um, the, the energy for, for peace is, is not, is not predominating. So the question is, how do we begin to shift that? So I'm going to turn it over to Richard now. Um, we're going to go a little bit past the hour here, uh, just so we can get everything set. Richard. Yes, sir. Richard. Can you go hear ahead. me okay? Yes. Hard to know what to say because you kind of covered the ground. Um the predominant energy right now going on in the world is uh, conflict. And you're saying, why is that the case? And it's easy to say, well, it's the culture, but that's not answering the question. That's, that's just defining it again. And, you know, when is old times ancient culture and when is modern culture? Time is an illusion that's passing anyway. And from the far future, looking back at now, we're in an ancient time compared to the biblical times and way before that we're in the far future. So my point, one of my points is that it doesn't matter where you are in time. Spirit is the same. God is the same. And there's something, the reality is outside of time and the reality is all beauty and love. But why do people, you know, lose connection with that? And I'm saying, you can't really lose connection with it because it's the only reason you can stay existing. But you can lose conscious connection with it. And that's what's happened. And people are living for immediate gratification in war situations where, you know, you look at it and it seems to be logical. Well, if I want what I want, and all I have to do is define this person in my way as my enemy, subhuman is even better and then just kill them, and then I get both of our portions. It's the uh, what zero-sum game idea that for you to have more, you have to steal it from somebody else. And the other version is that there's an unlimited, expandable pie that belongs to everybody, and that if you love each other and you have compassion and generosity for others, it comes back to you and you get more. But that takes deeper awareness. So somebody's got to break this cycle of, you know, 
Maybe there were temporary peace uh, periods in world history where things were better, but they weren't good enough because they ended. And what we're what we're trying to do is get something that's not temporary that get, ties us back to normal and stays there. And I think that what you've been doing with the world peace meditation is the clue to what has to happen. And um, I ran into somebody named. Reverend Bill McDonald this week, not in person, but on a video. And he was saying, you know, what we've talked about before, um, that once in a while meditation is great and it's critical to remind you. But then what do you do? What are you meditating on the rest of the 24 hours, the rest of the days, the rest of the weeks? How are you treating people, which comes out of where your focus is? And we've got to live in a different state. And somebody's got to start that, which is what you're talking about. I, th- I can't see any other way out. And right now we're at a turning point because in history, all the things that you cited, the technology didn't exist at that time to destroy the whole planet, all life on the planet. And now we have the technology to do it, and we have a group that's in charge on all the major power positions, which is above the ones we see. And their goal is to destroy life. And so the only thing that's going to turn it around is something stronger than that. And I think that's what you're talking about. Well, yeah, I think, Richard, you you put your kind of, we got it, is that there's forces that are supporting this very destructive behavior. For supporting it happening, you know, who, who are in a sense the global elite, I think the way I would use it, because it goes to their advantage, you know, to depopulate, to control people, to enslave people, right. uh, to make people feel hopeless. Uh, so uh, general people do the work for them. Yes, it's often mistaken for incompetence. You know, people look at the U.S. Congress and say, well, they can't figure out how to do everything, so the world's falling apart. And that's not true. Most of them are controlled by blackmail and bribes, and they're afraid to do anything different than what they're doing. And if they step out of line, they're punished. So the people in control are wielding the power of darkness, and the only thing that's going to turn it around, because they know where they're going, they intend world war and total domination. And the only way to stop that and turn it around, as you said, is it's got to be a stronger connection to something that's above the darkness. And the only thing I can think of like that is the one reality, which people call God, except it's got to change from a belief to an actual lived experience. So King Ashok was the one that created a few hundred years of peace in, in India as a Buddhist. And what happened, this is my understanding, we don't know, it's like a few thousand years, a thousand years ago or, or two. Um, basically, population took it on as a lifestyle, you know, a peaceful lifestyle. Right. And that's what allowed it to exist for a few hundred years. Now, of course, it broke down, but it still has existed for a few, thousand, a few hundred years. Uh, and 
No, I'm not talking about Buddhism. I'm talking about the general population uh, taking on and feeling very good about a meditative, peaceful way of life. Right. And the whole infrastructure was supporting that kind of way of life, and it worked. It's a change of consciousness. That's what I'm talking about. And, and that, to me, the solution is people expanding their consciousness to include God and to see God in each other and honor God in each other, and then the whole thing shifts. Right. And I, I think from my limited point of view, um, what I've seen in history, that's when peace prevails on earth. It's when people experience God with them, within themselves and within the other. We're going so to know when that happens. There's a sense of oneness. Right. <clears throat> and it has an outer effect. You know, I think one of the big uh, telling points is how you deal with enemies. Because on the surface, in the current consciousness, there's no way. People just end up saying we have to kill our enemies or die trying. Because they're not going to listen to us. There's no negotiating. They're unreasonable, on and on and on, which is true. But in this example that you gave of what happened with meditation in a city where the violent crime went down, I think that's so important to really yeah, understand. Down forty three percent in Rhode Island in the whole state, and forty nine yeah, multiple times. Yeah, and three hundred studies showed that three hundred studies, and they did it in uh, twenty two cities with one percent, just one percent meditating, and there was a sixteen percent decrease in crime rate in the city. Right. I'm wondering if that's just going right over our heads. You know, because if we really absorb what you're saying, what is that? That means violent criminals, carjackers, murderers, rapists, people that you could say, those people are our enemies. We can't talk to them. We can't negotiate. They're just going to kill us. They're just going to carjack us. They're just going to steal. Those are the people that were in, what would you say, intransigent. They, they can't be reasoned with. It shifted so, their consciousness. Those people changed. So... Right. It wasn't just that there was a group that was harmonious and they lived together and they were fine. It was the enemies, the carjackers and the murderers, that changed. And they didn't even have to be talked to. And as soon as we get the consciousness that you're pointing to, we're going to see that happening everywhere. Yeah, that is what I would say is our only hope. I agree. I can't see any other option. Because on the on the gross physical level, the dark side is so organized, and so they're confident because they control all the power positions and the money. They are intending to take it the rest of the way and destroy everything. And I don't see any realistic option to stand up on their level and beat them. I don't. I don't think that's realistic. But what you're talking about is something there's no defense against. Right. And that also brings the power of God. I mean, obviously, that is a key factor throughout history when God intervenes. 
Yeah, through people. Yeah. You know, if we just sit around saying, well, we don't have to change consciousness because God's going to take care of it, we're missing the point. Exactly. You know, there's a reason that this God of unlimited love has allowed who knows how many thousands of years of atrocities to go on. And it's because the people haven't chosen to be the channels for that love. And we have the option now again, at least for a while, if we do it now, to choose that. So there we are. It's so simple. Complex, because it's hard to get people to do it. It's so simple. And uh, we have all the tools. It's not because this isn't about negotiating. This is about changing consciousness, and it can be done. You know, because uh, we have examples in history where it's been done. So I'm just blessing everybody that we choose to do it. Okay, because it's doable. That's the thing. This is very hopeful. It's doable. We know it's doable. Can we do it? If we choose so, we can. That's where our power is. Um, I invite everybody, this isn't an advertisement for that, but uh, to our (coughs) Sunday evening uh, World Peace Meditation. It's a World Peace Meditation net and it's at 6.15 Israel time and we all do it around the world together. When we reach 9,000 people, we will change the consciousness. Okay? So, keep that in mind. We have the power to do this. It's not out of our control. But we have to do it. Okay, so blessings to everyone. May we all see a shift in the consciousness happening very soon. Okay, and our our next one is next Sunday, November 12th. 6.15, So peace be with you. And Richard, thank you for your good work. And also Doug, thank you for your good work. And Richard, final words from you. Thank you, Gabriel. I mean, I agree with you. This is ultimately so simple. You almost don't know what to say. It's like... uh, It's embarrassingly simple. It's embarrassingly simple. And we're so proud of our complexity and sophistication and our intelligence and our great prowess in all these areas. But... Really what matters at the end is what kind of a environment have we created, have we projected out of our consciousness? Because it reflects the consciousness of the, of the, the individual and the group. I mean, every, this is a long subject, but so much truth is counterintuitive when you're not connected to it. And the reality is that all the real spiritual teachers have talked about is that the outer environment, the outer color of your life, the experience of everyday life is actually being created moment by moment 
through your consciousness. God hasn't abandoned anybody. It's just the beauty and the unconditional love is supposed to manifest through you. And if you don't open up to that, then we get to experience what we're experiencing in the world now. There's no reason that that has to keep going on. So we have a choice to make, um, which has been coming up in a lot of speeches and different songs throughout time. Um, but we haven't made it in the right way yet. There's a difference in what uh, Gabriel's talking about between what you believe, whatever your religion is, and your depth of consciousness, your connection to God, spirit below any words. It's experiential, and we have. it's time to do that. And it's interesting that when Gabriel was going through this historical background, he said um, all these different groups have had periods and histories of violence and atrocities. And he said, even the Buddhists, and I, I used to think that, well, the Buddhists, they, I mean, all they believe in is peace and tranquility and nirvana, and they would never do anything like that. And I found examples of the same thing in Africa, where the, Sikh, the uh, Buddhists had been busy murdering all the, I, th I think it was Sikhs at that time, in this African country, I don't remember, that they considered to be subhuman and hated by God, so they had to wipe them out so they could have peace again. And people have been missing the point throughout history. Spirit and God are, are one. It doesn't vary depending on your belief. Your, your connection to it is everything. And we have the potential as spirit beings to let that flow through us and color our everyday lives. We don't have to wonder why God is not fixing your life today. You can do that by opening up to it. And I'm, you know, embarrassingly simple and embarrassing in a way, as Gabriel says, because whenever one, you know, and this is just my memory and intuition, but whenever one of us fully does it, like 100%, it becomes so contagious it can't be stopped. And larger numbers, like he's talking about, are better and quicker. But you have, you have a massive effect as one person that starts with everybody that you're around, even if you don't open your mouth. So the invitation is, let's all start that and live in a different way. And uh, it's a nice slogan that you want to create peace by being peace, but it's actually talking about the reality. You know, so what are, where's our attention? You're, you're praying and meditating nonstop, all day, every day. You just don't realize it. So the only question is, you know, St. Augustine used to say, well, you should pray without ceasing all the time. Well, what he may not have understood is that we are already. It's just what are we praying to? And where's your attention? Where's your care? Where's your emotional state? Where's your focus? That's our work. The rest of it's all secondary. And you don't have to stop your outside work to do it. They go on at the same time. So let's try Let's do it together. Time's running out in this period. We need to make use of whatever is left. And uh, don't doubt the effect that you'll have. So remember Dr. Cousins' site, drcousins.com and treeoflife.mn.co. 
And uh, we're working on this in between times at planetaryhealingclub.com. It's all the same thing. It's trying to change, you know, the focus and the consciousness of humanity starting with you because you have a massive effect on everybody all the time. And we can do that. So thanks for being here. Sorry I was only audio today. Hope you can hear me all right. And uh, you were fine. You can, you were very clear. Thank you, Gabriel. I appreciate it. Sending love from all of us to everybody. And uh, let's let the light through. It's the strongest thing there is. All it needs is the allowance and the invitation. That's our work for right now. Ongoing. So let's see what we can do. I'll meet you here next time. Take care. Peace be with you.